you know, raises the question, how did you learn to give? What, what have you learned along the way about your giving or about handling money? Did you have good role models? Uh, where did you learn? Um, back in 2007, John Brandick, a 62-year-old man in the in, in UK, was given a serious diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. And he was given about a year to live. So after short reflection, he decided to sell as many of his possessions as he could possibly. He decided to quit his job. He decided to stop paying his mortgage. He gave money to his friends and family. And um, he took some long vacations. And he ate at some very nice restaurants, which lasted about a year. And after one year, he went back to see his doctor, and he had some exciting news. You don't have pancreatic cancer. You have pancreatitis, which is inflammation of the pancreas. Now, that was really good news, but he was broke by then. And so um, he decided to sue the hospital for their misdiagnosis. And he blamed them, and he wanted them to reimburse him for all of his losses uh, during that year. Now, I think you and I would certainly sympathize with somebody that had a, a, a cancer diagnosis that was terminal, and we, we would sympathize and we would understand their pain and um, difficult decision-making. But um, if wisdom is the art of skillful living... Did he make good choices along the way? Did he, were they really wise? Um, is there a better way to respond to this discouraging news? Now, I'm not here to be his judge, and you can decide how you would do it if you were given the same information. And he had, he had to face his consequences. He had to live with the consequences of his choices. When it comes to handle, handling money, I think it's good to re be reminded that the Bible has a lot to say about our money and our possessions. Of the 38 parables that Jesus gave us, 16 of them deal with money and possessions. There are um, 288 verses just in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that deal with our money and our possessions. Um, there's about 500 verses on prayer, about 500 verses on faith, and there are over 2,000 verses on money and possessions. One writer has, has observed, God entrusts us with money as a test. For like a toy to a child, it provides training for the handling of things of more value. Like a toy to a child, given to us as a test. How do we handle it? Today we're going to look at some Proverbs that deal with handling money. There's, there's certainly a lot more verses than the one that I'm going to deal with today that deal with money in the book of Proverbs. And then there's a lot more wisdom than just what I'm going to talk about today. But we're going to pick a few passages and uh, starting to learn, number one, about acquiring money. How do we acquire our money? Do you receive a paycheck? Do you receive um, money from investments? Do you receive 
money that comes from the government. Um, how do you receive money? Do you receive uh, an allowance? Do you receive money by embezzling? I mean, I've been amazed since I've lived in Eau Claire how much I've seen that in the news, how some people are able to uh, increase their income by taking advantage of their employer. Um, so here are some things that the book of Proverbs say about acquiring money. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Um, Lazy people don't get a big return for their uh, efforts. Uh, poor work habits lead to poor productivity. Excellent work habits, on the other hand, can bring excellent income. Now, I'd just like to make one observation on the outset when, it, when we come to acquiring money and our view of work in our culture. Now, we've, I've done a series on work in the past, God has a very high view of work. Um, we were created in the image of God. God is a worker. God worked and God rested. God created value and he created us to be workers as well and to bring value to our environment, to our society, whether it's our family or um, the community that we live in. Uh, work is a good thing. But for some people, I think they, they wouldn't use these words, but they see work is really a curse. It's really a downside of life. Uh, it's really just super negative. And the goal sort of in our society often is to work as little as possible and get as much as possible. That's like the all-time goal for some people. Um, and, you know, to put in as little effort and to gain as much as, as possible. Um, and yet, that really goes against God's view of work and the contribution that we can make. Lazy hands make for poverty. Diligent hands bring wealth. In Proverbs 21, verse 17, the scripture says, whoever loves pleasure we will become poor, Whoever loves wine and olive oil will never be rich. Now, God is, is good with pleasure. He's okay with pleasure. In fact, he created uh, things to be enjoyed. He created pleasure in life. But the danger for us is to embrace a consumer lifestyle. In fact, that's really what makes our economy run, a consumer lifestyle. lifestyle. Uh, the danger is to be motivated by a form of greed that wants more and more of what we have enough of already. And our struggle is with, often with contentment. Can we be satisfied with uh, what we have? The consumer lifestyle can be addictive and, and, you know, resulting in a sort of a form of self-medication, whether it's consuming alcohol or comfort food or ser searching to feel good with a spending spree or trying to fill the hole in our hearts with those really big items, men's toys and things like that. Um, God... 
Let, let me just, um, and, and, and one, of the, um, one of the downsides of the consumer lifestyle is that we just, we just have to buy the latest model and the most updated model to, to keep up, and it's just, we just have to keep spending more. This is such a big deal in our culture. I want to read something about advertisers and uh, how they have operated in our culture, and a lot of you know this already, but I, you know, just to hear it from the advertisers themselves, those in marketing. One marketing professor explains, there are only two ways to increase customers. Either you switch them to your brand or you grow them from birth. There's the key right there. The president of a chain of children's specialty stores said, all of these people understand something that is very basic and logical, that if you own this child at an early age, you can own this child for years to come. Companies are saying, hey, I want to own the kid younger and younger and younger. A General Mills executive adds, when it comes to targeting kids, consumers, kid consumers, we at General Mills follow the Procter & Gamble model of cradle to grave. We believe in getting them early and having them for life. Finally, the president of a leading agency declares, advertising at its best is making people feel that without their product, you're, you are a loser. Kids are very sensitive to that. You open up emotional vulnerabilities, and it's very easy to do with kids because they are the most emotionally vulnerable. Um, God gives us money and possessions for our Enjoyment, but they need to be in balance. Um, there needs to be self-control and discipline. Proverbs 22, verse 4. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. Not just riches, and, and of course, riches, wealth, in the Bible is having more than you need. We've established over and over that we live in the top 2% of world's economy on our income and what we have, and it's just wealthy people are people who have way more than we do. That's not how the rest of the world looks at us. Um, so when it comes to balance and self control and discipline, they will come with humility before God and a proper perspective about his values and his word, the fear of the Lord, a proper fear of the Lord, submission to the Lord with our lives and with our money and with our possessions. Because jumping to what Jesus taught in the New Testament, we are not the owner of our things. We are the caretaker. We are the steward. We are the managers of what God has provided for us. Proverbs uh, 23, verses 4 and 5. Now, this one is almost humorous when you see it as a word picture and teaching kids to think about this 
to visualize it and reflect it. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. You know, you just imagine a kid thinking about somebody's just wearing themselves out. They're just exhausted over and over doing the same kind of thing. Um, do not trust your own cleverness. You know, this is being self-reliant. It's, it's um, going through life and, and pursuing wealth without God, without using human resources, not God, not relying on his leadership and his wisdom. Verse 5, cast a glance at riches and they are gone for they will surely sprout wings and fly off uh, to the sky like an eagle. And, you know, just think of the kid. You know, there goes the eagle. It's gone. And, and that, that's important for people to understand that it's not going to last. Now, it seems like, you know, if it lasts year after year after year, that that's, boy, that's worth it. Not in eternity. Not from God's perspective. And someday, that's going to be really important. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. No need to be a workaholic. Now, there's a place for boundaries around your work. There's a place to work hard. And by the way, uh, when these Proverbs were written, work week was six days. Laborers often was kind of sun up to sundown, close to that. Uh, so they, they understood about work. But put some boundaries around it. Um, work is good and honorable, but overwork is destructive and becomes unproductive. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 7, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Um, Proverbs describe the way things are in society, the way things were the 10th century before Christ and the way things are today, in fact. The rich rule over the poor. There is a downside to being poor. And there is a responsibility of the rich or the wealthy if they are in leadership roles to rule or govern well whether they are business owners or employers. Um, the second part of this proverb, the borrower is the servant of the lender. Borrowing money has a downside. One becomes indebted to the lender. And usually, and even then, there was some kind of contract could have been oral or verbal. Today, we have written contracts, and the lender charges a fee, and the lender charges a fee then, or an interest rate back then. And this is not wrong in and of itself. What the Bible does condemn is usury, which is for a lender to charge a very high interest rate. Now, in America, our consumer way of living this becomes a problem when we have so much debt and credit card debt is a huge one in, our, in our, the way people live today, the way we live today. Credit cards can be a huge problem. Not being able to pay it off every month and then paying interest, higher interest rate. And if you miss a payment, you, your interest rate goes way up. And some people are paying some really high interest rates with credit cards. 
It is hard to get out of debt when you're paying 100 or 200 bucks a month for, or more for interest just on your credit card. Now, add to that problem if we have a mortgage and if we have a car payment and then we have all these other, and we have student loans, we have all of these debts, we become a servant of the financial world. We become enslaved. We are no longer financially free. We are not able to tell our money where we would like it to go. They tell us where our money's going to go. We don't have a lot of choice in it. And wisdom says, this can happen. And you want to wisely manage your, and handle your money so that you're not servants of your lenders. Now, I don't think it's wrong to borrow money. There's a contract involved. You keep up on your contract, you're okay. Just be wise in how you do it and the kind of uh, decisions that you make in doing so. Uh, secondly, learn about the value of money in light of eternity because money isn't, is... Money is given to us as a test. Now, how are we going to handle it? Because one day, we are going to have a test, and we're going to face Jesus. And he's, he's going to want to see what kind of uh, report card uh, we should have with generosity, with, with uh, how we handle our money. Proverbs 11, verse 4. Wealth is worthless on the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Money and stuff ultimately will be worthless when, on the day of judgment when Jesus returns. M money and stuff won't help us, no matter how we compare with the rest of the world, when it comes before standing before Christ. What will matter is righteousness, but righteousness delivers from death. It'll be about how we lived. It'll be about our character. Uh, it'll be about, did we truly live by faith? Were, were we obedient people? Proverbs 11, verse 28, those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. This is similar to the pre previous proverb. Trusting in wealth is absolutely doomed to failure. Putting wealth up high, putting wealth up as a priority as number one is totally doomed to failure. Now, I think it's easy for a lot of us to say, well, wealth is not number one in my life. And one of the big questions is, does it take a higher place than God? There's, there's a lot of ways to, to demonstrate that. Proverbs 11, verse... Proverbs 15, verse 16. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth uh, with turmoil. Now, this passage is not teaching that it's necessarily good to be poor. That's not the goal of the passage. But in comparison, the poor uh, person with the fear of the Lord is way better off than the wealthy with a perverse tongue who, who speaks falsely and um, 
perhaps makes fun of others, uh, who dishonors other people, who dishonors God, way better off. Now, think, think about Proverbs 15, 16, about teaching your kids. Which one is better? That's the idea. Which is better? It's way better. Character quality of life is way more important. Righteousness is way more important than pursuing money. So important that our kids learn that as they're growing up. Proverbs 19, verse 1. Better the poor whose walk is blameless than a fool whose lips are perverse. Uh, again, here's the value of character. The character of a faithful walk with God. The poor whose walk is blameless. Now, blameless is not perfect. Someone who's blameless is one who follows the instructions of the Lord. And God gives instructions is that when we fail and when we fall down, we need to deal with it. If it's sin, we need to confess it to God. If we need to make it right with someone else, that's what it means. And when we do that, we're right with God. Better who, the poor whose walk is blameless than a fool whose lips are perverse. Proverbs 22, verse 1, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. That would help me a lot. This is wisdom. A good name is more desirable than great riches. A good name, a good reputation is more value to God than great wealth. God is more impressed by your honest reputation than your money. Your reputation of kindness and generosity and fairness. Uh, to be esteemed is about having your character held up um, as a good example, as a good role model. Uh, this is what a, a Christ follower is really like, to have a good reputation, to be esteemed. Third thing, learn about the impact of mo how money has on people. The impact of money on people. Um, and what we find is, is that acquiring money changes people. Did you know that? Most people will say, if I were given a lot more money, it wouldn't change me. It wouldn't change my character. It wouldn't change the way I live or the way I treat people. But that's not what um, studies have shown. Um, according to the Boston Globe, there is a mounting body of research that wealth changes people uh, for the worse. Rich people have a harder time identifying and connecting with others. They show less empathy to the extent that at times that is even dehumanizing of others. Um, rich people are less charitable and generous. They are less likely to help someone in trouble. A study at the University of Minnesota uh, found that even suggesting that someone would be getting a lot more money makes people less friendly and less sensitive to others and more likely to support statements like, now hear this, 
Some groups of people are simply inferior to others. The impact of money. A study from the University of California found that wealth tends to make people uh, meaner and not their compassion and empathy go way down, but they also feel more uh, entitled and more self-interest, self-reliant. Proverbs 28, verse 11. The rich are wise in their own eyes. One who is poor and discerning sees how deluded they are. The rich are wise in their own eyes. And if they think they're wise, they have a high view of themselves, and they're probably an, an inaccurate view of themselves, um, prideful. And wealth can begin to distort one's reality. Um, but the poor and the discerning is the one who is actually wiser, the one who is poor and discerning. Discern, discernment in the book of Proverbs is talking about wisdom. The poor here is wiser and actually is able to see um, how deluded the wealth, wealthy people can be. And that made me wonder, um, sometimes we hear sometimes from missionaries or somebody who comes to our country from a third world country and they observe how we live and how we view money and how we view stuff and we're just kind of blind to it and they are just so amazed that we seem to be caught up with chasing after things. So what is the impact of money on people? Proverbs 13, verse 8, a person's riches may ransom their life, but the poor cannot respond to threatening rebukes. Um, a rich person draws attention to their wealth. They even draw kidnappers. In the 10th century, wealthy people were kidnapped for a ransom. Still happens today, doesn't it? But the poor don't often get kidnapped, do they? They don't really have anything to offer. They have no money to pay a ransom, which also means they have no money to defend themselves. And God wants to defend the poor. Proverbs 19, verse 4, wealth attracts many friends, but even the closest friend of the poor person deserts them. Shiny things seem to get our attention, don't they? Wealthy people get our attention. The rich and the famous. We like, sometimes we like to catch a little glimpse on TV of how they live, not because we want to live that way. We just enjoy watching them or we, we enjoy reading something about them. People are attracted to wealth like a moth is attracted to light. People like to be friends with the wealthy. Wealthy people often get treated better because... Somehow people hope they get included socially or somehow that they, they hope maybe they'll receive some kind of benefit from being around these wealthy people. Poor people don't attract friends. In fact, some people desert their friends when they lose their money and they treat them as if somehow they are a lesser person. Sometimes that happens when people lose a job. 
They leave that social group, and if those people at work were real friends, they might care about them afterwards. Um, Proverbs 13, verse 23, an unplowed field produces food for the poor, but injustice sweeps it away because life is not fair. Now, this is going to be so important to teach our kids. Life is not fair. They, 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 they taught their kids this 10, uh, 10 centuries before the birth of Jesus. Life is not fair. Quit expecting life to be fair. Um, an unplowed field is not very productive, but it's enough to feed some poor people. But even injustice can take it all away. It's not fair. Um, because the poor don't have a provider. They don't have a defender. They don't have a protector. And... Um, by the way, God's people can make a difference. There's a place for God's people to be a defender of the poor and to help the poor. Proverbs 14, 20, the poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. Again, this is not fair, but this is real life. Things are not fair. Now, there are good reasons why sometimes people are poor. Sometimes it can be because they're actually um, lazy or they actually don't want to work and it's way more complicated in our culture when we've created a system where there's no benefit in working at a certain level and they, they get people get more income if they don't work and they we create a pretty confusing kind of system um, but sometimes people are poor because they have been cheated out of their own land or property. Uh, some people have serious medical issues and some are uh, severely handicapped and, and they need help. They, they need care from other people. And we always, as Christ followers, can make a difference by helping people and restoring justice as much as possible. Okay, number four, the very last one. Learn about being generous with money. Learn about being generous. Am I a generous person? Ask that question. Am I generous with money? And most importantly, does God think I'm generous? Because that's going to be the bottom line. Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. A generous person is being like God in a way. God is generous. Generous people, the book of Proverbs says, will, will prosper. Uh, and then whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. This, this is about helping others with needs and resources. It's using our resources, our money to help others, being generous with those. Proverbs 19, verse 17, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. Now, being kind to the poor isn't just about being kind in words or kind behavior because those were really important, but being kind is about resources here. It's about giving. It's about generous actions. God cares about helping others and the needs of the poor, and God 
takes care of generous people. And God keeps track of generosity. He keeps track of our generosity and our lack of generosity. Proverbs 21, verse 13. Whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also uh, cry out and not be answered. And so we shouldn't expect God to be generous to us when we're not generous with our resources to needs of poor when we become aware of them. If we're stingy, expect God to be stingy. We should not expect God to answer our cry, our prayers for our needs if we are stingy to poor people. So what does God desire for us? Proverbs 22, verse 9. The generous will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. God blesses generous people who are concerned for the poor. God's favor is with the generous. Um, Generous people are blessed by God. And here's the very last proverb we're going to look at. Honor the Lord, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord from your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and will brim over with new wine. Now, this was written around the 10th century B.C. To honor the Lord from your wealth um, was, um, was about being generous to God and giving back to God. Um, value was exchanged primarily with a bartering system, system 10 centuries before the birth of Christ. And um, so the primary things that were used for bartering were um, livestock and agricultural. And they were, they were the same as cash. And God says, honor the Lord with your wealth, whatever your wealth is. And then he says, with the first fruits of your crops, meaning the first portion and the best portion of what you have. Before you do anything else with your money, honor the Lord first. It means to give to God first before we focus on meeting all of the other needs and wants that we have. This honored the Lord. This placed him first. And God promises to provide for those who trust him in this. He says, then your barns will be filled. You'll have enough um, and overflowing. And your, um, your vats will brim over, brim over with new wine. So, you know, if you have a wine cellar, it'd just be full of wine, okay? Um, I don't know. But God will provide for what you need. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. This is, we're going to end with a challenge from Malachi. And so when Malachi wrote, this is about the 4th century B.C. now, Malachi is a prophet. He writes a very short book. It's the last book in the Old Testament. And God's people are in a dark place spiritually. They're still worshiping, but they're only going through the motions. They're off pursuing the things that are most important to them, 
and they're just going through religious motions when it comes to God. And he says in verse 8, Will a mere mortal rob God? And then he tells his people, You rob me. But you ask, How are we robbing you? And God says, In tithes and offerings, you're keeping back things that you should be giving to me. And God says, you are robbing me. And then he tells, you are under a curse, the whole nation, because you are robbing me. God's people were not being generous toward him. God's people were just giving him a small tip back to him in their giving. And they kept resources for themselves. And then God gives them this challenge in verse 10. He said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be more food in my house. God says, bring in the whole tithe. Bring in all uh, that I've asked you to give. Uh, and the storehouse was in Jerusalem. It was at the temple. And, and this was the central place where uh, this giving was to take place. And then God surprises us with this invitation. He says, test me in this. This is the only time we're invited to, give, to test God. And he may know all the answers already. But we are invited to test him. And he says, see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven, pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. God says, if you can trust me, I am going to take care of you. And this is not about giving so we can get. This is not a, about, pro, uh, you know, prosperity gospel. This is not about giving so that we can be wealthy and get stuff we want. This is about obedience. Test me in this. Do we trust God that he will really meet our needs? Can we set aside, can we honor the Lord from our wealth, from the first of all of our produce? Can we set aside first place, a portion of our finances just for God? And it's first, it's before our mortgage, it's, be, it's before our car payment, it's before student loans, it's before credit card or whatever, your utility bill, it's first. That's what God is saying. Now, can you trust God with the whole tithe? Some of you know, absolutely. You've been doing it for years, even more. Some of you aren't sure you can. Some people will say, well, we just can't afford to. And that's sort of another way of, I don't really believe that God will take care of me. If money is a test, how are we going to do? Will we, will we get a passing grade with how we handle our money? Will we, will we stand before Jesus one day and get a report card about generosity? What steps do you and I need to take to grow in wisdom about handling our money. I'm reminded of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. 
And the Apostle Paul writes these words. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. That's why we can give. God is so generous with us. He gave to us first. He was rich. He became poor. Jesus came to this earth as a servant so that we would have the riches of eternity. We're going to celebrate communion this morning as we close our service. Jesus gave himself. He became rich. He was rich. He became poor so that we could be forgiven. We could receive the riches of his grace. And um, so when we take the bread and we take the cup, we are to remember that, to reflect on that, to think about his sacrifice, the cost of our salvation. And we have um, communion on each side. There's, there's, a, there's a station on each side. It's a sealed communion, so there's the bread and the cup are together. Be careful when you take the seals off. There are two so that it's possible to spill it. I can tell you that from experience. So um, communion is open to everybody who calls themselves a follower of Christ. The important thing is, is that we come with a clean heart, with our sins um, confessed before God. We come with a clean slate. Let's bow in prayer. Let me thank the Lord for providing. God, we come to you today. We've been reminded about how we handle resources. And God, I, um, I pray that you would examine our hearts and show us, um, is there something you want us to do about our finances? Is it about our giving? Is it about our choices? Give us your wisdom. If there's sin that I need to confess, please show me. Search my whole life, Lord. Are there words and actions that I haven't dealt with before you that I need to seek your forgiveness? Are there attitudes that I've had? May your Holy Spirit shine on our lives. May our hearts be humbled. May we have true fear of the Lord. We thank you, God, for your great promise that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. Thank you, God for the sins that have been confessed here this morning that you have forgiven and that you have cleansed. And now, God, we thank you for the bread and the cup. We remember that the bread is a symbol of the body of Christ. It's a reminder. And when we hold the bread, we are to think about your sacrifice for us. And when we take the cup this morning, we just give you thanks, God, 
that it's a symbol of the blood that Jesus shed on our behalf and that he paid for all of our sins and we don't deserve it. It's by grace. Thank you, God, for the bread and the cup. Thank you, most of all, for Jesus, for sending him, for loving us and giving us a way of salvation and the forgiveness of sins. In Jesus' name, amen.